Father, we do give you thanks today. You are great. And there's nothing outside of the realm of your sovereignty. You, you are great over every single thing, over life, over inanimate things. The creation speaks of your majesty. You are Lord over everything. Lord over salvation. We thank you for that. You're Lord over relationships, our physical health. You're Lord over that. You're Lord over our emotional health. You're Lord of the spiritual life that we experience. Lord, you are Lord even, yes, Lord, over the financial health that we have. That area that we're going to explore today, you are Lord. We pray and ask you to be with us as we explore financial health this morning. As a sovereign God, as a king over everything, as interested in all areas of our life. Holy Spirit, lead my speech, direct our thoughts and guide us to better financial health that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Please take a seat, everybody. Now, I'm going to pretend that we're in the consulting room. So I'm going to sit down on my chair here. Um, like many medical practitioners, which I am not, I will open my computer and I'll direct my attention to you and the computer from time to time. Now, most of us have had dental checks. Um, sometimes we go to the dentist because there's an ache and it's urgent. We need some urgent attention. Sometimes we go because we get that little card that tells us it's time. Or maybe you don't get a card anymore. Maybe you, your dentist is 21st century and you get a little um, text message that says, time for your checkup. Sometimes when you go to the dentist, it could be because you've had an injury, like a chipped tooth, or you've, you've actually lost a tooth, or something like that. Or maybe another time is, at the checkup, they might find some decay or some deterioration that you didn't even know about, and it needs some attention. That's why a checkup is important, because there could be things there that you don't even know about. And so in our finances, it's pretty much similar. We have a financial check because we don't know what we don't know, if you know what I mean. Now, Billy Graham, the great evangelist of the 20th century, said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it'll help straighten out most every other area of his life. And I know that God is really interested in financial health because the Bible has references to finance and wealth. Over 2,000 times throughout the Bible, there are these references. And Jesus followed up in the New Testament. A lot of his parables have to do with finance or they have a, a content of a financial situation. So we know that financial health is important to God. The first thing that we really need to get sorted when we're talking about financial health, the foundation of it all is who owns what? Who owns what? Now, in 1880, Abraham Kuyper stood at the opening of the Amsterdam Free University in Holland and he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. A few years later, Kevin Brett stood on this stage and said, God is large and in charge. 
basically means the same thing. The earth, said David in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Now, when God says the world is mine and everything in it, what he actually means is the world is mine and everything in it. In the 21st century, however, we can get into the trap of thinking that I, me, mine, it's my house, my car, my wife, my children, my finances, my bank account, but actually everything is God's. And we are the appointed managers by God to oversee and manage those resources, all of God's gifts to us. That's what a steward does. They manage the affairs of someone else. So God is over everything. We are his stewards. We are to manage what he has given to us. It's not actually ours. In fact, Brian Jewell said, um, money isn't mine in the sense that I own it. It's simply mine in the sense that I'm responsible for managing it. But why is it so important to acknowledge that God owns everything? Well, I think the first reason is it, it governs our objective. So who is the object of our worship? Who is our allegiance to? Is it to God? Is it to our finance? If we acknowledge God owns everything, then our allegiance goes to him. It changes our perspective, secondly. When we know that God owns everything, we see the things that we have, our talents, our wealth, our property, we see them not as our own, but we see them as God's, our perspective shifts. So instead of holding on to those things ourselves for our own benefit, we release them to God's kingdom for the benefit of others. And the third thing is it causes us to be more effective in the kingdom because, as Kevin Brett also said, if God can get it through you, he will get it to you. So the the kingdom of God can advance unhindered, free-flowing, if we are willing with our financial resource that God has given to us to release it into the kingdom. Uh, Randy Alcorn, a pastor and author in the United States, has this great quote. He says, what, do you, what you do with your resources in this life becomes your autobiography. What you do with your own resources in this life is your autobiography. And uh, some of you have read Philip Yancey's books, The Jesus I Never Knew or What's So Amazing About Grace. He says, a God wise enough to create me and the world I live in is wise enough to watch out for me. So God owns everything in the whole world. Therefore, I should trust him for everything in my world. So it's a recognition of ownership. Um, trust is an interesting thing. My grandson Gideon likes to play trains and cars in his bedroom. One day he was standing on the side of his bed and I was on the floor with the car mat and he said, pa, pa. And I looked up and as I looked up, he was jumping off the bed. Um, fortunately, I did look up and I was able to catch him because it would have been um, a disaster otherwise so but he trusted that I was going to catch him and we lose some of that trust as we get older 
that trust in God. It's not so forthcoming. So we learn again to trust God. We learn that trust grows. Sometimes it's itty-bitty growth. Sometimes it's huge leaps. But just like how you, when you have a barbecue, that's the time when you go, your gas bottle is going to run out. To learn to trust God, you have to be in a position where you have to trust God. You don't trust God when you don't have to trust God kind of thing. You know what I mean? Now, Billy Graham said a number of amazing things, and this is another fantastic thing I found that he said, and I've heard this before, you may have too. We can be certain that God will give us the strength and resources we need to live through any situation that life ordains for us. The will of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. King David said much the same in the Psalms. He said in Psalm 37 verse 25, Once I was young, now I'm old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. So financial health, therefore, doesn't begin with money in the bank. It can't be assessed by the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear. It's more about the financial for for the foundation for financial health, that God owns everything, therefore I will trust him in everything. And be assured, God's supply is always equal to his ability to deliver. Paul writes to the Philippians church in chapter 4 of um, the Philippian letter. He says uh, in verse 6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then going down to verse 18. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this... Same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So let's do the first check, if you like, the first checkpoint. You can mentally put a tick against these things as we go through. Have you acknowledged God's ownership of everything? Financial foundation. Are you learning to trust God for your financial health? Do you worry about your financial health? Do you pray about the things that you need? Can you recall with thankfulness how God has applied in the past? Do you have peace in financial matters? The peace that Paul spoke there exceeding anything that we can understand. Is that peace a guard for your heart, where your treasure is, and for your mind, where the battleground uh, of thought takes place? Can you testify to God's provision? And now, with that foundation kind of established there, we're going to move on to the next area, which is called single serve. 
In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus is speaking and he says to his disciples, if, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're trustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you? Sorry, if you are untrustly trustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Here's the point. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other, and you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Interestingly, the Pharisees, in verse 14, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. So you can't serve God and be enslaved to money. You need a single serve. Would you be upstanding with me now as we sing the national anthem? Austra I'm serious. Australians, all let us rejoice, for we are one and free. With golden soil and wealth for toil, our home is good by sea. Our land abounds. Our land abounds in nature's gifts. That's good. We'll stop there. Thank you. Our land abounds with nature's gifts, with golden soil and wealth for toil. Australia is a land of abundance. There's a range and variety of natural resources, consumer items, development opportunities. It's never been greater in Australia. 2022 is an open book. And by world comparisons, every person in Australia is a wealthy person. We, as Christians, can find ourselves dancing to that same materialist tune as the rest of Australian society, wanting more and indulging in excess. In 2021, advertisers in Australia spent $8.6 billion alerting Australian consumers to what we didn't necessarily need and building discontent with what we already had. This should serve today as a wake-up call for us Christians not to be serenaded by selfishness. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. Get that? Everything we see, a craving for that. And pride in our achievements and possessions. Pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father but are from the world. Debt is getting serious now. Debt is the flip side of desire for more. It's borne out by the statistics in Australia. And I'm quoting now. Household debt can take many forms, but whether it's student debt, credit card, mortgage, most people, this is tragic, most people are guilty of spending more than they earn. And according to Compare the Market, many people are too busy worrying about repaying their debts to realise why they've even got their heads under water in the first place. 
Compare the market found an Aussie household with a combined disposable income of $100,000, so this is after tax, $100,000 combined disposable income, had an average debt, this is average, in uh, 2022, February 2022, these statistics, an average debt of around $210,000. So income of $100,000, debt of $210,000. Twice the amount that we are earning, we are spending. And that puts Australia as the fifth most indebted country in the world. The average Australian Aussie, well, you would be an Australian if you're an Aussie, the average Aussie <laughs> owes about $3,841 on their credit card. This is from January 2022, these statistics. $3,841 on their credit card, average. Average Aussie has personal debt, not counting credit card or mortgages. Personal debt of $17,700. And average mortgage of about $565,000. It could be higher depending where you live. You see, what's happened in Australia is debt has become normalised. It's easy to get credit. Um, there's over 13 million credit cards in Australia. There's 27 million people in Australia, and a lot of them are little kids without the access to a credit card. So that's a lot of credit cards. There's $18.1 billion of debt in 2021 chalked up to credit cards. And it's so easy to get into debt difficulty. In fact, Sadly, the statistics tell me that 44% of all credit card debt never gets paid off because people are managing to pay the minimum payment, which never pays off the debt because the interest rate is more than the minimum payment. That's very sad. But it's a, it's a statistic which is coming from 2021. And lots, there's other types of credit arrangements as well with overdrafts. Afterpay, someone told me the other day that afterpay should really be called never pay. They started up, uh, they knew a person had started up a business venture and they had the afterpay facility and the business had to stop running because nobody was paying. The Apostle James writes in chapter 4 of James... What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only... What will give you pleasure? Jesus, speaking in Luke 12 to his disciples, said, Beware. Luke 12, verse 15. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. This is my contention, folks. Materialism has become the public face of greed. Materialism, it's a word which we hear a lot, material possessions. I think materialism is actually what the Bible calls covetousness 
and it's repackaged for the 21st century. We don't feel so bad when we talk about materialism. We don't like to be called greedy or covetousness, have covetousness in our life, because greed is in fact the overwhelming urge to have more of something. And it's usually more than what you actually need. And covetousness is an eager and excessive desire, especially for wealth and possessions, and usually for things that belong to other people. That's where we are, folks. 2022. Australian society. Debt-laden. Slaves to the wage to be able to try and just grind to get um, our debt under control. I'm not meaning that everybody here is like that, but I'm meaning like collectively as a society, that's where we are, and I know that there will be people in the room that feel the pinch too. The Apostle Paul, however, promoted a different kind of lifestyle. He was talking to his uh, churches uh, that he had planted as promoting the lifestyle of contentment. So followers of Jesus to be content. Living content models that freeing opposition to a debt-laden materialistic lifestyle. Listen to what he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 4, anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander and evil suspicion. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. He's saying, get off the treadmill. Verse, uh, Philippians 4 and verse 10, Paul speaking again to the church says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. For I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. How often do we misquote that? Bible verse, take it out of context. Over the past three years, Kathy and I have been on a downsizing, decluttering journey. Um, we've investigated the tiny house movement and still very interested in the tiny house movement. We were watching a, an episode of a tiny house um, expedition, I think it was, and a, one of the tiny houses that they were touring through had a little placard on the uh, wall it said nothing will make you happy until nothing makes you happy I thought to myself that is so profound I loved it and 
it kind of ties in with what Paul was saying there. I've learned to be content with nothing. He's happy. Contentment, happiness. Nothing will make you happy until nothing makes you happy. So Kathy and I have been working on simplifying our lifestyle, exploring minimalism as a Christian response to consumer-based materialism. I can tell you some really good YouTube channels to uh, visit if you're interested in that. Um, I'd like to complete this little section before we do the final check and go on to the end to have a think about, here's a lyric from a George Gershwin opera. Um, the opera is called Porgy and Bess. It's set in, uh, well, back in the previous century and it is a, um, it's an opera about um, African-American people. And uh, one guy, Porgy, is, uh, has a disability and he's very, what we might say, he's living in poverty. But this is a song that he sings. He sings this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. Oh, I got plenty of nothing and nothing's plenty for me. I got no car, got no mule, got no misery. The folks with plenty of plenty got a lock on the door. Afraid somebody's a going to rob them while they's out of making more. What for? I got no lock on my door. That's the way to be. They can steal the rug from the floor. That's okay with me. Cause the things that I prize, like the stars and the skies, are all free. So here's a checkpoint. Single serve. What's more important to you? Things or people? I, this, this checkpoint I was ticking until recently. I've tried not to tick this next one. Do you look through catalogues and online shopping even though there's nothing you really need? Uh-oh. Have you ever engaged in recreational shopping trips? Do you have too much stuff? And sorry if this bites home, but do you rent a storage facility? Is your purchase motivation... By necessity or by whim? Would you say you're learning or have learned how to be content? Do you align with that thought, nothing will make you happy until nothing makes you happy? I'd like to finish with briefly looking at six goals that I think we could have if we implement and are achieving working towards these goals we will actually move quite well towards financial health. The first one is looking to give generously. In our church, we have lots of opportunities to give generously. And um, all these opportunities are above our regular tithe and uh, take those opportunities. Generosity looks different for every giver. So you remember the story about the lady... We're at giving the money in the synagogue, only the two little copper coins. See, generosity looks different for every giver. So sometimes it may not even be finance that you give. It might be your time, your talent. You might cook some emergency meals or you might be helping others or coming and helping to pack Christmas hampers or something like that. 
The great Bible teacher Oswald Chambers said, With Christ, it's not how much we give, but what we do not give. That's the real test. The second thing I think we need to try and implement is working diligently. Devote your time to do the best job you can. Follow through on your promises. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Have integrity in your work. My old school principal used to say, if the job's worth doing, it's worth doing. Whereas my dad used to say, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. But I agree with my principal. If the job's worth doing, it's worth doing. The reward for the job is in the task, he used to say. The former Speaker of the US House of Representatives said this, perseverance is the hard work you do after you get tired of doing the hard work you already did. Thirdly, I think we need to move towards living simply. Look for opportunities to explore godliness with contentment. What Kathy and I have done, we start a vegetable garden. We have decluttered and donated. We regularly walk around our neighbourhood. We take some time to enjoy God's creation by going down to the river. But you could look, maybe you're living in an area where there's a, a mountain a lookout or a bushwalk or something. Here's two great quotes that I don't know who said them, but they're really good. Fill your life with experiences, not things. Have stories to tell, not stuff to show. And I really, really like this one. The best things in life aren't things. Thirdly, I, uh, sorry, fourthly, save religiously. Delayed gratification is a really tricky thing. Uh, particularly if you're raising a family, like it's always, we want it now. But learning to control the impulse is an important thing. And delayed gratification and savings is really, um, really helpful in your financial health. You might remember a couple of years ago, we ran a video series here by Pastor Paul de Jong. And he spoke about money and me. And he spoke about a principle. Um, it was a budgeting principle, but I want to just draw on the saving part. He said, use the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle, which was 10%. 10%, 10%, 70%. 10% for stewarding, that's your tithe. 10% for seeding, that's your investment or your extra giving. 10% for saving and then spending or living on the 70%. I think that's a really, really good thing. There's a, um, a philanthropist in the United States. He's quite an old man now. His name is Warren Buffett. He's, um, according to what I could find out, he's the, the fifth wealthiest person in the world. And as at June, just gone, 2022, his um, money in the bank and assets was valued at 113 billion US dollars. But listen to this advice, which I think he has followed, and that's where he is today. He says, do not save what is left after spending, but spend what is left after saving. The fifth thing is spending thoughtfully. Um, the other day I was at Aldi. I was looking through what I call the good aisles. So many of you who are married may visit Aldi and while your wife 
pushes the trolley around and buys the essential food items, you may get the opportunity, like me, to look through the good aisles. I came across, I came across this jumper, a woolen jumper, a little zip thing here, just what I needed. And then I realised I was actually preaching on financial health. And I, I took a step back and thought, wait a minute, I have to practice what I'm preaching. The idea that I've been trying to implement is not impulse buying, spending more thoughtfully. So I tried to put into practice this thing. So the Aldi jumper's there. I'm looking at it. The idea is you see something. It's not something that you planned to spend. You see something, avoid that. The way you can do it is don't buy it then, but say to yourself, I'm going to leave the store. I'm going to walk around the block and I'm going to come back, and if it still seems like as urgent as it was before, maybe then I consider it. Well, you know what? I didn't buy that Aldi jumper. President Thomas Jefferson said, never spend your money before you have it. And here's a great Swedish proverb for all you Swedish people out there. He who buys what he does not need steals from himself. The last goal that we should have, I believe, is that we should plan wisely. Budgeting. A budget's an outline of your planned income and expenses over a specific time. And you, people usually revise it periodically as changes take place. When I first started budgeting, my mum got me several margarine containers. And in my socks and undies drawer, we had the margarine containers. And because back in those days, it was more a cash-based um, economy, I was able to divide my money up into certain amounts and put, you know, so much in here for savings, so much in here for church, so much in here for stuff I wanted to buy, so much for birthday presents, etc. And that worked to a certain degree, except I used to pay or rob from one margarine container to put it in another one if I was running a bit. But I think people still do that today with their budget. But it was, a, it was my attempt at a plan. Today, of course, we've got digital spreadsheets. There's apps you can get on your phone. It'll, it's all really healthy stuff to help you plan your spending and your saving. Uh, I found a really good template for budgeting on the moneyspart.gov um, uh, website. And I know that Christians Against Poverty also have another excellent uh, budgeting advice. John Maxwell says... A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And President Barack Obama, this is really cool, a budget is more than just a series of numbers on a page. It's the embodiment of our values. So those six things are really, really important goals for us as we attempt to, with God's help, move into a position of financial health. I want to pray for us now and ask that um, ask God to help us in this area of financial health. So let's pray. Father, today we rejoice in your sovereignty over our world. How great is our God. We sang it earlier on today. Everything in it is yours. Help us to trust you for everything we need. We acknowledge that financial health is important to you and it's vital 
for us. Father, lead us into a life of godliness with contentment to serve you and you only. Help us to avoid materialism and the serenade of selfishness that shouts for our attention. We want to keep our eyes and ears on you. Practically, Lord, we ask for your grace so that we can give generously and work diligently. Help us to live more simply, to tread lightly in this world that you have made. Encourage us in our saving and our spending of your resources. And may our budgeting clearly display the embodiment of our values. And allow us the freedom to serve you fully. In Jesus' name. Amen.